Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I'm super excited to welcome David Campbell, popular co-host of Today Extra and presenter of his own top-rating weekend radio show. He's also one of Australia's leading performers and musical theatre stars and runs a theatre company. Somehow, he also has time to write picture books, including Stupid Carrots, Bedtime is Boring, My Favourite, My Tooth is Luth, and his most recent one, shortest bedtime story ever. Welcome, David Campbell. Hey, how are you, Danny? I'm very well. And I love how we are both uh, trying to podcast and trying to parent currently. I've told my kids to be quiet 400 times. They're not listening. And uh, you're actually doing some pickup yourself. Yeah, so I've just come from Woolies where I've done a shop. I've dropped my, my twins off at dance, <laughs> taken the bins out, fed the dog, come to the shops to do Easter shopping and now pick up my other son from dance. So if you hear a car door or anything like that, we are just like any other parent out there. So welcome to the jungle, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the That's so good because my kids are actually, they're not fighting yet, um, but they're sort of rumbling in the toy room. And I'm like, this is going to turn ugly anytime. But if we're going to put that up front, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go fully reality. Now, I read your book, Shortest Bedtime Story Ever. Love it. Very clever. All your books are quite quirky, but hit us with an elevator pitch for this latest one. I was trying to put my twins to bed and I kept doing like the end at the end of a page of a book. I can't remember. It was probably like a Dr. Seuss or something. And they kept going, no. And so I'd do the next page. I'm like, okay, good night. The end. And like, no. And I was like, huh, that's a funny idea. I've never read a book <laughs> like that before. And I was just, it was, it was due to lack of patience and time. I love it. But you know what? It's so funny because one of my questions is, was this inspired by a time you couldn't put your kids to sleep? It literally was. And so I, so then I thought like, well, how do you start a story? And the idea was, in my case, the cypher was a dad, but it was a parent who was poor on time, but also wanted to give the kids the laugh before bed and to have it build from, a traditional story to like th- the idea is that it's supposed to be just being it gets crazy and crazy because they're the parents are just up to entertain the kids <laughs> and we've all been there right i don't know how old your kids are but remember yeah. when you could skip pages and lines of a picture book because everyone you were just so tired from the day but then they got to an age where you, they went mum you've just missed a whole chunk and you're like oh oh, <laughs> oh dear Oh, you feel like Donald Trump on a perp walk, you know, you feel like you've been busted doing some major crime right. and it's just, it's really horrible and, and they make you feel terrible about it. And then you go away going like, I'm just a terrible parent and maybe I've cheated them for years and maybe they're not, and they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> That's right. But it is that parent guilt. You do feel like a terrible parent, even though, as we've proven today, we juggle multiple things. I'm very impressed with, you know, what you've achieved so far and still yet more for this afternoon. <laughs> 
Now, oh, thank oh. you. Hang on. I'm about to I'm about to pick up a child. This is gonna happen in real time. Hold on one second. I'm gonna put hazard lights on too. Ooh. Come on, mate. Go, go, go. Get in the go, go, go. Quick, quick. We're doing, doing this very safely. Sit. Very safely. Yeah. There no is problem. no danger to anyone. Or you can oh, no, yourself. The, the parent behind me is the parent behind me is also doing pick up drop off with hazard lights on. This is the best. <laughs> I think you get really good at uh, multitasking when you're a parent. Better than when you didn't have kids. Do you remember when you were kids and you went out for brunch all the time and you could have written 20 novels and you didn't? You just wasted time? No, we just uh, we just uh, went ate and drank our way across Australia. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's right. And now it's like, oh, my God, I can do so much in 15 minutes. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. The, t- the, the, the lack of time wasting that I have now. Yeah, right. People are like, how can you squeeze so much in? It's like it's all... I only had this amount of time to do three jobs. Let's go. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Get a working parent to get your stuff done because we'll figure it out. You bet. <laughs> now, from reading your bio, you're a busy as man, even in your personal life. What drove you to writing picture books? Well, it was actually something that I'd always wanted to do. Um, you know, I, my older son, who just got in the car, then Leo, you know, we Hi, loved reading to him. Uh, we <laughs> loved reading to him and he yeah we very much liked comic books and he was he always had a very like big imagination and but he liked older stuff and new stuff and I just had this thought of like gee I wonder how it would be to write a picture book for him but it sort of I didn't know how to do that and it sort of went away so when I'd had the twins and Scholastic approached me and I I, they were like do you have any ideas for a picture book and you know we'd had you know the twins were about three or four at the time and it, it was around the time that Betty started to say like stupid carrots, but like it was an abusive thing. Like she was, it was like her swear. And so we were like, is that supposed to be a sledge at us? Or I mean, she wasn't referring to the vegetable. I like, like it. Like stupid carrots. Oh, that's fantastic. Ugh, like it was a swear. Like it was us or like if she like didn't like something, she'd be like, Ugh, stupid carrots. I'd be like, what, what does that even mean? Um, so when that happened and they sat down and said, do you have an idea? And I'm like, what about the term stupid carrots? And we sort of debated about the idea about whether stupid would work, whether some people might find it too hard for kids to say that because they don't like the word and there's a, an insult. And then, then it became about just, uh, they said, well, what would be so stupid about it? It's like, well, if they're a bunny and they come home and they just reject carrots because we all have been those parents where you put the food down, they're like, I don't want to eat this. And you're mm. like, I'm not a restaurant. You'll eat what you're given. Um, <laughs> this isn't a cafe and you have that debate with your kids so I thought that even that was a funny concept so we started there I love it I love it and I'm actually going to use that as a swear word from now on I think it will save me in many situations stupid carrots I think it's great yeah I mean I think all the books I tried to I mean they are based in fact I mean the next one Billy was not a great sleeper so that was a problem with for us um the reaction to the to the twins losing their teeth was something that they literally had. So uh, I found it interesting that you'd have this sort of difference of like dynamics where some kids are sensitive about it and some kids are like, rip this thing out of my head and give me money. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've got so, one of those. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like this whole thing of like, you know, every child is different, but yet they're all part of the same story. Mm. And so mm. I, I found that really interesting. But the the genius, I think, not from my end for the new book was that this new um the senior who is this new um uh illustrator is just so expressive and so now 
I'm like, oh, I want to do more. I've got another idea for a book immediately because of I started working with them on this book and then I followed them on Instagram and I already had the idea for the next book that I want to do with them because wow. I'm just so inspired by their pictures. I love that. I was going to say it felt mm. like they were inside my house when I was I read Bedtime is Boring because my son has literally said that every single day since he could speak and he's now 10 and he still says it. I'm like, oh, my God, straight oh, yeah. from my life. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I think Darren's um, imagery and that, and you know, and illustrations and that he's so he's captured the the different dynamics. And I think that the important part of I think the important part of reading your kids' stories is that the parents do play a part in it. And I mm-hmm. wanted that. I mean, we're kind of let me ask Leah: Are we strict parent? I take your time. Not really. Not really. Not, no, not really. But like when me and the twins kind of get you revved up a bit and like. And then you start to get a bit strict when you're like really getting mad. Yeah, well, like, Leo, no, tell me more. Now. Tell me more, Leo. He's going to drop me into it. But I think that's the point of of like the parents in the, especially the bunny books, is like they're like, go to bed. Like, eat, you get what you get and that's it. Or yeah. like, just pull the teeth out of your head. You know, it doesn't matter. You're going to be fine. It's the parent <laughs> is like a voice of reason as opposed to like, you know, I was brought up with. And so was my wife was brought up like we had very strict backgrounds, you know, we're very even stricter than we are. I don't think Leo would even imagine that, Um, but we're very strict parents. And so it was that sort of like parents who are like, no, no, the boundaries here and that's it. Um, And so the point of this new book was the fact it's the parent actually losing control. The boundary is set on the first page and the kids completely overrule it. And so (laughs) the parent by even giving an inch realizes they have to start creating monkeys with laser beams on their heads just to get out of reading this book which was great by the way i loved the randomness of this book every time i turned the page it was something else random i thought kids will just love this you know besides it being that quite honest interpretation of just go to sleep kids it was it was really funny because when you are sort of improving with your kids they do come up with these wild ideas like that yeah and i think that kids are very kids inspire you i think like that too be more creative and to tap into our own childlike self. And I think sometimes, even though the bunny parents are quite strict, it's sometimes good, you know, to just play video games or be done with your kids or to, you know, whether that's sports or anything like that, or, you know, we like to just be silly and do play music in our house or we have playlists. And so it's also good to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes as an adult, you can get caught up in being an adult sometimes. And I think kids just draw that joy out of you because you have no choice because they, they suck it out of you whether you like it or not. Well, they, they, they do both. They suck the joy and they draw the joy. It's just depending <laughs> on the day. I actually meant draw the I mean, I was meant, that was meant to be a positive comment. They draw the joy out of you even if you don't want to. Yeah. Didn't mean it in that negative way. But yeah, I can see both sides. Honestly, um, we can, <laughs> both things can be true at the same time. Absolutely. I think you're right. Now, I always think being a creative, um, they kind of overlap and spill into each other. And, you know, as I mentioned in your bio, you're a presenter, a performer, a musical theatre, owning a theatre company. Now you're a writer. How do these creative pursuits feed each other? Um, it's the good thing about the work that I continually have to do, in, including in television, you know, uh, is, is that it's collaborative for many, many years. I was doing cabaret in America or being a solo performer. And that's, it can be very lonely except for the few people that you have on the road. So you start to, like when you are working with people, you really bounce off them. So, and I like the challenge of people going, 
like I might come up with like, okay, this one's called my tooth is loose. And they'll be like, well, what's that about? I'm like, ah, tooth fairy. And they'll, and they, but it's always pushing yourself and, or, you know, the art of the illustrations that come back here, you go, Oh, now you've drawn that. I've got another idea. Can we put this on this page and I'll write something else. And so it's, I never want to say that these are just like my bold creations and I've just released them to the world. No, they're complete. Like I may have the basic ideas, but they are inspired and informed by the people around that I collaborate with. And that's the same in everything that I do. I always work best bouncing off people. I may sometimes have the idea or sometimes I'll take someone's idea and run with it. Depends on mm. the, on what are you doing? Mm, I love that. And when you were, when you are creating picture books, were you surprised at how much thought and collaboration goes into it? Because I think some people are surprised because, you know, they're short form texts and some people think you can write them over lunch, all untrue. So were you surprised by how much thought gets put into them? You know, when I was um, my son's age uh, and I was like back in the uh, 70s and 80s, you know, I was, and it's ubiquitous now, but I was a Marvel comic books collector. And for me, that style, and that was like, you know, the hey there, that was Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, which is what we all see on TV now. But it was two guys batting it out and trying to come up with different things. And so I like this form of like characters with voices, but they're animated and they've got really, they've, they've got wit and they've got charm and they're funny or they're argumentative or they don't always behave well. And I think, you know, the kids' books and stuff that I grew up with, it wasn't all like nice and everyone plays and gets along. Like people, kids are naughty. Yeah. And it's good that they're naughty. We want them to be naughty because they need to know where the boundaries are. Yeah. And I think that's important. I actually read an article that said exactly that. The naughtier kid or the one who's pushing the boundaries is actually going to probably be a better adult at learning than the kids who always toe the line because they've got all that, I don't know, hidden, repressed naughtiness inside them. So let it out. Not too much, though. I think they're, I think they're smarter and I think they get grit earlier. Mm. And I think that's a, a, an important lesson. Isn't grit such an important quality, particularly as a creative? Oh, my God, yeah. And if you're going to, you know, you need to hear no. I mean, the thing about being an actor or a performer is that you hear no for the first 10, 15 years of your life. And so mm. you, you know, I don't think that's necessarily positive for self-esteem, but it, it does help with grit. Absolutely. And it's interesting because creatives, you know, usually are very you know, sensitive and are in touch with the world. And then you've also got to have this like side of grit to you as well. So it's an interesting combination. Absolutely. <laughs> now with a variety of creative pursuits in your life, I want to know which one makes you feel alive the most. God, that's so hard because the TV stuff, you do feel so alive because you are digesting the news of the day and commenting and interpreting it for the mm. audience that you need mm. to have it out there um, and making it so that people can understand sometimes complex issues or issues they haven't thought about or bringing something something to the fore, uh, foreground that needs to be spoken about. Um but for me, that's highly stimulating as a as a presenter and as a performer. But the other day, I had to do some singing. I've had to do a lot of singing this year again, and it's probably instinctually not. I I, I suppose my happy place. Uh, I like it. I I know it so well. I'm so comfortable there that I can tap into that really quickly. I can do that with TV now too. But performance wise, when I have to sing. Like it's like I can do it not in my sleep. I'm not lazy, but <laughs> it's a it's a self that I know that 
I can let it take over. Like, that, okay, unfortunately, I had to perform at a funeral the other day and, and I was so nervous, but I knew if I just let the performance take over, I could mm-hmm. I could get through the anxiety I was feeling. Yeah, get in so the zone. That's, so once you're in the yeah. zone, you can stay in the zone. I love that. But the zone is not even like I don't even need to like warm up that much. Like if mm-hmm. I had to just do it, I can just drop into it. And so that's wow. like that's that's being old. That's what age teaches you, Danny. <laughs> you just... <laughs> I was going to say talent, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you creatively? Like is there another book? Is there some new, new musical theatre coming out? What are you working on? Uh, there's probably not any theatre for a while now. I've stepped back from uh, running the theatre. My wife runs it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, for me, I, it's about the kids. For me, uh, you know. Um, Lisa is, um, my wife is a casting agent, so she is casting Moulin Rouge and she's about to go overseas and help with the casting over there for that. Um, so it, it gives me more time to be what you just saw today, being hands-on with the kids. And while that comes with its challenges and stresses and micro-weights, I call them, you know those weights that you put on out of an apothecary where they just put these little tiny weights on? Sometimes I feel like that's what's happening in my head. I've got to think about this and think about that and think about yeah. this and pick this person up from here. Yeah, all the tabs but open at once. All the tabs are open at once, but the absolute joy and satisfaction I feel in completing those days, um, because I know I've only got a, a short amount of summers left with them doing this mm. and a short amount of Easter's left where I can hide stuff in the backyard and a few Christmases, probably only a few Christmases left where the twins even believe in what they should be believing in. And all those little things, and you, um, but all those things, I'm, I'm hyper aware of the fact that, you know, I didn't I didn't have a parent that uh, was, you know, I was brought up by my grandmother, so it was different. She'd already mm-hmm. had multiple kids and she yeah. sort of just raised me, but I didn't have a father or a mother who were there for me all the time or went to or pushed me into sports or did those sort of things. So... That's kind of why I feel like I know I'm building humans and I need to build humans that can, A, be good people, uh, B, be positive experiences in the world, and C, hopefully be creative or good at what they do that they want to better themselves and drag people along with them. Mm. So I think that's a really important job and I really relish this time of of getting that right. So Mm. at the moment... I'm really focusing on being a dad, although I do have this idea for another book with the same <laughs> illustrator I just did. Well, the kids go to school, so you've got some time. You know, I have some time. Smash yeah. out these books. I'm, I'm joking. I know how ridiculous life is all the time with kids. Uh, but I really like that, and I think sometimes that's underrated, you know, creating good humans who are good contributors and joyful in the world and go out and do what they want to do. Like, it's not an underrated thing. It's really important. So I think... It is important. These people are going to vote, and, <laughs> you know, they're going to... They're gonna... But vote on policies that are going to affect people coming up after them. And I think that's really important to do, instill your values and your morals. And they may not share it for the rest of their lives, but at least put some good into them so that they hopefully use that for to better themselves. Mm, that's gorgeous. And, you know, writing picture books, we get them young, we give them ideas, we make them laugh. That's all really important stuff too. That's it. <laughs> now, my final question, which I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, why do you write? Oh, I I write for my kids. I, I only write to leave a legacy and a memory behind for them. Um, the fact that it does go out there and relate to other people and families is beautiful and makes me laugh and I kind of think it's crazy, but I'm only writing for my family and for my kids. I want them to be like, when they look back on it, I don't want them to be like Christopher Robin and be ashamed of it, but I, <laughs> I'd like them to be like, 
Oh, uh, Dad did that for us when we were kids, and that was a funny memory. And we can talk about that. But yeah, that's that's it, really. I'm trying to write moments in time that so I don't forget. Well, I love that, and I actually truly believe picture books are those pieces of art, and they're time capsules. You know, we all remember the uh, the books we read to our kids when they were young, and we read them endlessly. And they didn't sleep. I had a non-sleeper as well. So I, I think they're more than picture books there. What was your passion. picture book when you were a kid, when you were growing up? Mine was Mr. Men. What was your generation? Oh, I loved Mr. Men, I've got to say. I loved all the Mr. Men. But then this, I, I discovered this one called Tiki Tiki Tembo, No Star Rainbow, Chari Bari, Ruchi Pipi Peri Pembo. What is that amazing <laughs> title? And why didn't I think of it? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why I love it because I read it now and I'm like, hmm, I wonder why I love this book so much. But I just did. It's about this kid who gets stuck in a well and because he has this ridiculously long name, every time he tried to save his brother, he couldn't finish the name. And so it was this Amazing. model. <laughs> right? Weird. But I loved it. Oh, I, I love bought, that. <laughs> I bought it for my kids. Didn't really get the same reaction, but, you know, it's yeah. all right. That's, and that's because time moves on. They want yeah. different things. It does. But Mr. Men, absolutely. I still remember, what is it, Mr. Tickle with the extraordinarily long arms. Mr. Tickle, mine was always Mr. Strong. I always wanted to be Mr. Strong. <laughs> My wife looked like Mr. Greedy when she was pregnant with the twins in the last trimester. <laughs> she has a picture on her Instagram from oh, when that. she was at that size with Mr. Greedy. Well, you've got two humans inside you. I reckon that's, you know, absolutely A-OK. <laughs> Where do they go? That's what I want to know. Thank you so much, David. I can see that you've just squeezed me into your very busy life and I'm very appreciative of that. And I loved your book and I think you're a great talent. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for having me on here. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. And thanks for spruiking the book and for actually championing kids' books out there. It's so vital that we have more people doing stuff like this. And thank you. Pamela Cook writes fiction set in places you want to escape to and books that will keep you turning the page. Her novels feature tangled family relationships, the ups and downs of friendship, and they explore issues like grief and loss, belonging and love. Welcome, Pamela. I know something exciting that's coming up. You are running a course in May and it's called Turn Up the Tension. Tell me about this amazing course. So this is a course that I have taught quite a few times now already through uh, Writing New South Wales. I've taught it at the RWA, Romance Writers of Australia conference. And it's a course that always has been really well received, has really helped their writing, helped get, you know, reader engagement. That And the whole idea of it is to get the reader turning a page. So mm. um, I just decided that the format that I'd been teaching it in didn't really allow me to go deep enough with each of the sections, which are now turned into individual modules. So uh, I've kind of taken it back and I'm running it myself and I've um, got eight modules and all of them are quite in-depth on each topic that I cover. And, yeah, I'm running it online because I've found that, you know, especially over the last couple of years with Zoom, people getting so used to doing things online, that's become a really convenient way of people, you know, doing courses and being able to do it from anywhere. doesn't matter mm. where they live, really. Absolutely. I like that, that anyone can access it no matter where you live. And I also like that you can just wear your pyjamas, you can get your cup of tea and you can learn. So eight weeks, that's pretty intense. Tell me what you're going to learn over that time period. We start with openings and creating that really great hook at the beginning so that the reader is definitely going to want to read on right from the very first sentence. Then we go on to look at uh, characterization. We look at plot. So these are all separate modules. Fourth module is structure, and then we go on to look at scenes and and creating tension within a scene, and then really getting down to the nitty gritty of sentence structure, word choice, and 
with a special little focus on writing sex scenes because that's something that often comes Ooh. up for people as uh, <laughs> being something that, you know, can be quite tricky So and getting tension in there as well and, and the emotional tension, really focusing on that. But I do use um, lots and lots of examples. So each week, you know, there are uh, four or five, sometimes more examples that I take across different genres so that, you know, I'm trying to cater to people who are writing across a whole lot of different genres and using examples from books. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And you're talking about creating tension for the reader, but I reckon this is really important when you're submitting as well, because I think publishers are going to want that hook straight away too, right? Absolutely. You know, and I've actually got, so I've, I've got one cohort going through currently and a couple of the people who are in that group specifically have joined because they said, you know, they've had really good comments from publishers, but one of the comments has been uh, just not grabbing me enough, just mm-hmm. not enough tension there. So uh, yeah, that is something I think that publishers and agents too, of course, really look for when they're they're looking for people's uh, manuscripts. And you know, doesn't matter whether the reader is an agent, a publisher, or you know, a reader picking your book up off the shelf. You want to be able to engage them right from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing better than picking up that book at six pm and not being able to put it down till three am. Right? We've all done that. And they're like, yeah. "How am I supposed to function the next day?" But it's totally worth it. Now, I want to ask you, who is this course designed for? So the course is designed for people who have a completed manuscript. Now, when I say that, I mean, you know, at least one draft is finished from the beginning to the end because I always believe you never really know the beginning of your story until you get to the end. And also because we do look at those big picture things like overall plot, structure, you know, the the kind of really whole story type things, you really need to have that full manuscript to get the most out of the course. So that's, that's who I've designed it for. Mm, I love that. And then you've got a lot to work with, don't you? And so yeah, is there homework yeah. in between those modules? There is. So one thing that I've asked people uh, joining the course to do is to choose what I'm calling a model text where it's a book from their genre that they kind of think, wow, this is the, the kind of book I want to write or I re- this book really grabbed me. And so each week there's one exercise where you look at, it might be a scene or it might be the opening or, or some excerpt from that, that model text that you've chosen and do a little bit of an analysis. I think I'm going back to my high school English teacher days there. Um, And the other exercise is a writing exercise where you look at something from your own, um, you know, manuscript, whether that could be rewriting a scene using what you've learned in the module or analysing a scene, uh, either or. But, yeah, so one model text and one uh, writing exercise each week. Mm, I really like that. I love the idea of also picking something from the genre you're writing within and then looking at that, you know, how you want to write, because then you're looking at where your book might sit on the shelf with other books that already are published. And that's really important. Sometimes it's really important to publishers as well. Definitely. You know, they often will ask you, what are the comp titles? What are the books yeah. that you feel that it is like, you know, or that readers that like these books will also like your book. So I think it's good to know where your book sits within that genre for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you are very supportive of emerging writers, which is, you know, we're very grateful for that. What advice would you give an emerging writer? Oh, so many things I could give. (laughs) But, yeah, I think probably harking back to what I said a little earlier, and that is to finish your manuscript before you start submitting anywhere because I have had in the past, you know, people I've done mentoring with or, you know, emerging or aspiring writers will talk to me and say, oh, you know, I've got five great chapters. I'm getting really good feedback on them. Should I start submitting? And I always say, no, please hold off because for that reason that so much can change by the time you get to the end of the manuscript Every time you write a new scene or a chapter, you're learning something more. And by the time you get to the end of it, it could be a completely different book. So, 
my advice, uh, big advice there would be to really hold off submitting anything um, unless, you know, sometimes it could be some kind of, men, you know, mentoring thing where they just ask for three chapters or, or something like that. In that case, it's fine, but definitely not just a general submission to a publisher or agent before you've finished that draft and worked on it. You know, like writing is really rewriting, as we've all heard that mantra many times, and that's definitely the truth. You know, you, you have to have multiple revisions before you can really get it to where you mm. want it to be. Agree, absolutely. So this course kicks off for eight weeks on May 10. Where do we access it? How much is it? Any other information you want to give us? Yeah, okay. So there are kind of limited numbers because the other part of the course is that each week I'll do a Zoom call with the people in the group so that you will, uh, and two people each week submit roughly around 500 words and I critique it and then we talk about it in the Zoom call. So you are getting bits of feedback as well from me and from the group. Um, so I'm taking somewhere between eight and 12 in each group that go through. And the other thing is you have lifetime access to the course. So you can always go back, you know, if you get, if life gets a bit busy and you just can't finish a module in that week or whatever, you can go back at any time and revise it or redo it or, or, you know, fit it into your own schedule. The course is $5.99 generally, but at the moment, uh, $4.99 early bird price until April 10. And you can also pay in a couple of instalments. Um, and if anyone has any questions at all, they can email me at pamela at pamelacook.com.au. 